Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Beavers conclude a winning season, but go down in the final game of the year. Welcome to the Beaver Banter Podcast. I am Aaron Fendris, along with the Oregonians, Nick Daschle, who covers the Beavers. He was at every game this season. We're going to review a little bit of the game uh, that, that they lost to Utah State down in L.A., but mostly talk about the season as a whole, like what was good, what was bad, what to look forward to for next year as we sort of wrap up this season for the Beavers. Nick, how are you doing? You had a little time off, right? I did. I'm I'm now uh, starting to figure out how to cover basketball when they're not playing basketball games. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> right. it's, uh, I mean, it looks like uh, Saturday's game against Oregon is going to be off. So it's, it just continues. Well, unfortunately, with the Blazers, I'm covering basketball while they're playing basketball and it's not very pretty basketball. So I'm trying to figure that out. Two on a nightly basis in terms of how do you write the same game story every night? Anyway, these beavers. Let's talk about the first question here. Successful season or not, especially given expectations, you go first. We're at the end of this thing. Looking back, success or not? Well, I mean, I'd like to hear anybody's anybody's take on how this wasn't a successful season. And just given you know what this program's gone through over the last eight to ten years. I mean, seven wins is a successful season. I don't, I don't, I, I bring any argument you want to the table. It's just, it's just not going to fly. I mean, seven wins is, is two more than they've had in any season since 2013. Um, you know, a bowl game. They, they, they won every game at home this year for the first time. And I'm blanking on it, but I think it was 2000 or something like that. I mean, it, there were a number of you know milestones they hit this season that they haven't hit in a while, and there's just no reason to think this season didn't meet or exceed expectations because it did. I agree. It's the problem is it's uh, you know you, you sort of build up expectations or you build down expectations depending on how a season flows. Had they closed this season with two wins to just let's say they start out you know. Four and five, and it's like, oh, are they going to make the ball? Are they going to make the ball? And then they close the season strong, and they get in. Everyone's all rejoicing, and it's great. But when you get to where they got to, where at one point they were one, two, three, four, and one, they were five and, and two, five and, and then, two, and then five. Yeah, they, well, they were four and one first, and then five yeah. and two. So when you're when you're four and one, five and two, well, now you're thinking like we even talked about it back then. You're thinking, heck, could they get to eight? You know, could they get the nine, eight before the bowl game and nine total? You know, what, what is possible here, especially when the rest of the conference was looking so bizarre and weak. And then, you know, you're sitting at, so what, six or five and two, sorry, 
and then you lose at Cal at Colorado. That stings because you, you would think you're better than those two teams at that point. You rally against Stanford, which was just a mess. The Arizona State win was definitely quality. You lose to Oregon, that's expected. And then you close with a loss against a mid-major team. A good one, but still. So there's some disappointment there to be had at the end, I think, because I think expectations were probably raised. But if you're realistic and you're fair, you look at the entire thing and say, hey, they made a bowl game for the first time since 2013. You can't really sneeze at that. Let's build upon this and hopefully do better next season. Yeah, I mean, if if you're looking at the you know glass half full, you, you got to look at the you know the body of work, and the body of work was was good. You got to start from the you know go from the start and all the way to the finish. Now, if you're looking at it, you know what could have been. Sure, maybe it wasn't a great season because you know they probably did leave a couple wins out there on the field. But is there any team outside of Oregon that didn't do that? I mean, Oregon, when they lost, they, they found a way to get hammered. Um, but, but Oregon state, I mean, there was, you know, the Colorado game was certainly winnable. I'm not going to say Cal was, you know, they, they, they had a shot in that game, but you know, Purdue was a game they, they could have won. Uh, Washington state was a game, you know, they were, they were right in it to the end. So, I mean, it could have been a nine win season. And certainly, you know, you, you get to that point, then, then you're playing, probably playing in a better bowl game to begin with, you know, after that. But right. I still, I, but like I said, every team could, every team can say, you know, has, has a couple of woulda, coulda, shouldas. You know, they, they, they delivered, they, they, they won most of the games they should have won. And, and that's, yeah, and, and and that for that for that reason alone, given the way this program has performed over the last eight to ten years, it's a successful season. Yeah, no doubt. We we totally agree on that. I don't think most people I think most people would disagree. What's what's really interesting is when you when you look at the Pac twelve as a whole and how, you know, down it was and just how uh, you know, you can call it parody or call it mer- mediocrity or both. Um but the fact is, is that that Oregon State played probably its best game when you consider the opponent against Utah, which won the conference and did so by, you know, smashing Oregon twice. But then you can't beat Cal and Colorado. Like that's what's just bizarre about about their season. So it speaks to their inconsistencies. But it also in a lot of ways speaks to the potential that this team had that maybe they can build upon for next season. So let's uh, let's go into the things that worked. And the things that didn't, and uh, also forecast a little bit uh, to next season. Uh, what worked most for you this season for the Beavers? Well, the offensive line has to, you have to start with that. They they that that was one of the best offensive lines in the country. Now, maybe as the season got toward the end, it wasn't quite as effective. Probably because you know opponents had so much tape on them that they were you know they had some things they could do against this offensive line but for the most part i mean these guys dominated they dominated defensive fronts during the season they were they were they ran the ball as well as any team in the pac 12 and they protected the quarterback and um that that number one was the thing that worked best and then you know because of the offensive line the running game was 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 really good they had you could argue bj baylor if he's not the best running back in the conference, he was probably one of the top three. I mean, he ran for close to 1,300 yards this season, and, um, you know, he's he's on his way to the NFL draft. I don't know if, you know, if he'll get in a camp or not, but but he but he's he's the, he's the latest running back Oregon State has. They've, they've now had three running backs under Jonathan Smith that are going to get a sniff in an NFL 
camp, if not, you know, land on a roster. Um, no, is it three? Yeah, no, yeah, three, right? Pierce, Jefferson, and and then we'll see with Baylor. But and then the run defense was was better this year. I mean, that's been a that's been a sore spot for throughout Jonathan Smith's ten years. They just couldn't stop the run and. I mean, were they great? No, but but they they did they did hold teams. They didn't give up a lot of explosive runs, and they and they you know they forced teams to have to well, throw the ball, which which I guess we'll get to on what didn't work this season. But but, but <laughs> they forced teams but, to do the things but, but, that the yeah, couldn't stop. Right? They, they forced right. they forced teams to be one dimensional, which was probably worked out in their favor. But but they did stop the run. They did stop the run better than they have in the first four years. And, of Jonathan Smith's tenure. So those, I would say those three things are what work best for this team. You mentioned the run defense. I was trying to call it up real quick here. Uh, the Beavers allowed 143 per game, which ranked sixth. That's middle of the pack. Not too bad. Um, as for their run game, they led the conference, correct? I mean, I think they finished number one, didn't they? They were either one or two. I mean, they, there was some, I think Utah might have, might have edged them out toward the yeah, end. Yeah, Utah is now by a yard and a half, but, and, yeah. and 0.6 yards per carry. Oh, wait, no, the, sorry. Um, Oregon State finished third, sorry. Uh, third behind UCLA and Utah separated by four yards uh, between them. They averaged 5.3 per carry, which was tied for second best in the conference. So definitely, one of the premier rushing teams in the Pac-12. What what did they give up per run uh, on defense? I, I can't. I don't have the stats up in front of me, but I, I think it was it was it was fairly decent for Oregon State. Yeah, um, I'm right here. Um, let's see, rushing defense four point one. Give which, it 4.1 I mean, it's, it's not super, but it's but it's but it's definitely better than it had been in the first three years. I mean, there oh, were yeah. I think 4.1 there was I think three years ago they gave up over six yards a run or something right. like that. So yeah, okay. it was better. It was better. So let's get to what didn't work. You were complaining all season about the tight end production. You wanted some tight end action, didn't get much of it. Uh, so let's let's talk about what you think didn't work. The inconsistent production from the receiving and tight end positions were are a little bit of a concern and i i i i'm beginning to wonder if maybe they just played too many guys i don't know if that's an issue or not but they played a lot of receivers and i don't know if anybody ever was ever able to get into a rhythm at all out there and maybe it's because they don't really have a you know a great receiver outside of Trayvon Bradford who i wouldn't say is great but you know he's certainly He's certainly a starter on on a lot of teams, um, but they they just they they weren't able to they weren't able to you know make big plays down the field. They there was they had trouble separating at times. Got to give them a little bit of credit that they were they were good as run blockers. I know Canzano and I we we watched you know obviously we were at a number of games together and we constantly remark when they run those fly sweeps that the receivers would they take it all the way to the sideline rather than cut it up when there was a hole and mm-hmm. I don't I don't I don't know, you know, I it just seemed like there was there was places to run on those and and for some reason they take it all the way They're to the sideline. Yeah, wide all the time. Yeah, yeah and I, I don't but and that was to me that seemed like a little bit of an issue too. But you know, and then with the tight end I they uh, Brian Lindgren and, and Jonathan Smith constantly referred to the you know one issue with the lack of throws to the tight end is opportunity you know we ran the ball a lot we didn't throw it a lot 
I, I mean, I get it, but if you got a tight end like Luke Musgrave, you got to throw to him. He, 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 <laughs> he had I mean, 22 he th- catches for 300 yards. I mean, he caught, I think he caught seven passes against Oregon. I mean, he, he's just, I'm, I don't know what I'm missing. I, in fact, it's something I'm going to, you know, talk to Smith and, and Brian about, you know, in the next month or two, just, you know, what, what am I missing there? What, was he not getting open? Were you just, why wasn't he more part of the game plan when it came to throwing the ball to him? Because, I mean, you see these tight ends can make a big difference. If you got a good one that can run and, and he's big and he's both. And uh, I mean, that's, I don't, I, he, he's got to be a bigger part of the offense next year. You know, I'm, I'm assuming he'll be back, but um, that, that, that to me was, was a big, was, was kind of a negative. Uh, obviously the pass defense was inconsistent at times. They were good. They were, they were, they were better when Alton Julian was, was, was playing. He got hurt at the end of the Utah game for the, he blew out his knee lost for the season. And that it seemed like, you know, then it really got to be an issue, you know, defending the pass. And, and a lot of that had to do with, they just weren't the, the, the backers just weren't getting to the quarterback and the, you know, the rush wasn't getting to the quarterback. And I mean, it was, it was glaring in the Utah state game, how, how a guy who had never thrown a college pass in his life was just sitting back there, you know, checking, looking second, third receiver, no pro problem. And he just had all kinds of time to throw. And so that was a big issue is a, is a pass rush, especially the second half of the season. And then third down defense, that didn't really seem to get much better throughout the season. It was one of the worst in the country. And, um, it didn't matter whether it was third and short, third and long, you know, teams were hitting at 50 plus percent against Oregon state. And I mean, if you want to be a good defense, you got to get off the field and, and, and they weren't, they weren't able to do that this year. So one thing about the tight ends, I'm looking at it here. So you had Musgrave with 22 catches, which was fourth on the team. And then you had Tegan Quitariano. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Who had 19. So those guys combined for 41. And there were only 218 completions on the season. So they, you know, they accounted for about 20%, which isn't horrible. And, you know, to Jonathan's point, they didn't throw a ton. So if you, if you threw more and everyone else's numbers went up, then maybe you get Musgrave to 38, 40, you get Tegan to 28 or what have you. But still, I, I would, you know, I would think that when you have a young quarterback, uh, and you run the game really well that that the play action pass and the short passes to the tight end, whether it's a choice route, a flat route, uh, a hitch, a quick slant or whatever, those, those things are really high completion percentage plays. And, you know, those, those are things that they maybe could have gone to more often to just give chance some, some easy, you know, quick completions, uh, which in most pro style offenses, those types of passes to the tight end are money, especially when you're a good rushing team. Well, and also, you know, just given the lack of size on uh, at the receiving position, I mean, they don't really have. They're, they're, it's a, it's one of the smaller receiving units in the in the Pac-12. Uh, and, and Luke Musgrave is standing out there at six six. He's just, I, I guess, part of it was you know we just saw him during camp in August, and he just dominated. I mean, he, he was just dominant in every scrimmage and. And it just was like, this guy's going to be, he's, he's, he's going to be first team all pack 12. He's, he's going to catch 50 or 60 passes. He's going to break records. He's, I mean, cause he can do it all. And then he got in the games and not much of anything. 
You are listening to Beaver Banter, and we'll be right back after a quick break. Biggest concerns to the season and moving forward. Yeah, to start with, I'd say the finish to the season. I, I didn't think this team finished very well. They didn't. Def- they didn't defend. They really didn't defend well at all in the Oregon game, and they they were out of it from pretty much from the you know from the first quarter on. They were playing uphill, just trying to catch up. And I didn't, even though it was a nine point game at the end, I didn't feel like they were all that competitive in that game. Uh, that was kind of disappointing. Then the bowl game. I mean, that was a game where they really could have stepped on Utah State's throat, uh, or, you know, early on and didn't. And then they, and then they let a guy, like I said before, a quarterback come in that never thrown a college pass before, just, just light him up. And, and then the offense just, just laid an egg in the, in the, in the LA bowl. So, you know, to, again, we went back, you know, we talked about how the season was successful, but I mean, to finish the season with two losses and and really not really that competitive either. I mean the Utah State Utah State game they were they were close to getting blown out in, in that game. So you know it that that the finish to the season to me is was one of the big concerns. Their play on the road was was not not good. Two years ago, um, you know they, they that was their strength. They went on the road and and they won several several road they beat arizona uh they won the three game tournament ucla arizona and cal and they'd kind of build up this you know reputation where you know they're you know the, the they're where they kind of you know circle the wagons you know that that stuff you always talk about when you're going on the road and this year they outside of the usc game they didn't play well on the road this year and so that's that's something they got to address trajectory of the defense it was better this year but it's got to get a lot better if if this team really wants to go where 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 it thinks it can go i mean they they've got to get they've got to be they've got to improve again and and that could happen with the, a new defensive coordinator and you know finally i think we've already talked about this but the receiver play that that's got to improve too but and I, I expect it's going to have to next year because it's hard to believe they're going to be able to run the ball as effectively as they did this last season. So um, those those would be my biggest concerns coming out of out of the twenty one season. What was your game of the year for the Beavers? You know, it's kind of a coin flip to me between Utah and USC. I, I know people will point to the U, Utah game as you know being the game of the year, and yeah, it probably was. I mean, they were down fourteen to nothing, and it really dominated the game for the final three quarters um you know against the team that ended up winning the pac 12 and clobbering oregon you know twice and almost winning the rose bowl so i mean that was a that was a big win but i just i i keep going back to the usc game even though usc wasn't very good i mean that game kind of set the tone for the for the season it seemed like you know they went down there and and jumped on usc and really played well in a place they hadn't won in 50 years and so 60 years um so i i i kind of like i kind of like those as co games of the year even though i i know the utah game is will be more meaningful to a lot of people all right for me it's the utah game by far i mean i think that at the time we both were you know going off about the usc win because of you know historically what it meant 
And at, at the time still, though, it seemed like USC might be a good team, but they were not. They were a bad team. And Utah was a really good team who, again, just throttled Oregon twice. I just think when you, when you look at the totality of the season, yeah, USC has a sexier name and that was a big deal at the time. But overall, I just feel like that that, that win over Utah was the bigger win and why it made me feel even more disappointed for them in the way they closed the season. Cause if you took out Utah like that, you know, how do you lose the three games that you did to Cal, uh, Colorado and Utah State? I mean, to me, you should win two of those three if you were able to beat Utah like that. But again, it's just, you know, it's just how you tend to look at it. But both those victories were, were huge for the program and uh, speak well for their trajectory. No, I agree. And it, it, again, the, the, and Utah, I don't know if, if Oregon State plays Utah a month later how that turns out Utah was still trying to find itself at that point they you know they had just been going through you know the tragedy off the field they I mean I think that it was either that week or the week before was the week they had the funeral and um so I mean they and maybe they caught Utah at the right time but you know they beat Utah and and no one else in the Pac-12 did this year so I mean so yeah I mean I can I can definitely see that argument that 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 that's the the game of the year all right let's get to some awards here the official the the first annual Beaver Banter year end awards <laughs> we need some kind of like music some like academy award music here all right MVP offense who you got well, BJ Baylor's probably going to be on on the top of most people's list just of, based on his production. He was, you know, he had six 100-yard games. He was first team all Pac-12. Um, you know, he really was the guy that made that running game go. They had a few other guys that contributed, but he was he was the main guy. I I still and it's hard to give a you know an MVP to an offensive lineman because they really play as a unit not as a single guy but Nathan Eldridge was he he was you know seventh year center he was a rock all season the coaches raved about how he had how he had taken his game to a level where he was really effective at getting to the second level and 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 blocking linebackers and, and he was first team all conference as well and if 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 you're asking me of of all the players coming out this year in Oregon State that are going to the NFL draft which one's going to go highest i would say Eldridge is probably probably the likely the most likely guy to go you know the highest in the draft if you know i have no idea where these guys are going to go but that's my gut is that he'll he'll be the most attractive to an NFL team so i'm going to say Baylor but Nathan Eldridge i got to give him a nod I'm going to cheat and go the entire offensive line. Last year, Jefferson went off, you know, behind the O-line. And obviously, you know, changes here and there. But then they come right back the next season, and that unit kills it again with a new running back. So clearly you can plug in any good running back behind that crew, and they get it done. So I'm going to go give some love to the offensive line. O-lines, man, they, they make a team go. And a lot of time they get a lot of times they get overlooked for a lot of different reasons until – they're not opening holes or they're allowing sacks. Then people notice. And all too often they get uh, sort of the, the, the shaft in terms of praise. So I'm going to cheat and go the entire O-line, which includes Eldridge, of course. Okay, now defensive MVP. Who you got? If you're just going on stats, it's got to be Avery Roberts, right? I mean, he he led the conference in tackles. He was, you know. 128. First, uh, first and, he, and he missed a game. As, you know, he missed two games as, and missed, shoot, two and a half games. So – 
he certainly could add more and he you know he's first team all conference and uh, but he does play at a position that's going to rack up a lot of tackles you know the way Oregon State plays defense um so uh, Omar Spates had a lot of tackles too well, I I thought Roberts was pretty good in one-on-one situations so you know he had a solid season I just keep going back to a guy that only played you know six or seven games Alton Julian is safety when he when he was in there they were their defense at times was was could be dominant at times cuz he he was good at coming up and 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 defending the run but he could he could cover too and it just seemed like their pass defense worked a little better when when he was in the game but when he tore up his knee after the U, during the Utah game i mean it's no it's no coincidence they had probably the two worst defensive games right after that in Cal and Colorado, which led to Tim Tibisar getting fired. So, I mean, I, I you got to give it to Roberts, but Alton Julian was certainly a, a, a factor on this defense this year. So this season is in the rear view mirror. Let's look ahead to spring ball. When, when does spring ball start, by the way? Well, they won't. They won't nail down a time yet. But they they usually the way it's been going, they they they'll start maybe two weeks before spring break, take a week or two off, and then come back and and do the final three weeks in April. Um, but they they haven't they haven't announced the schedule, and they probably won't for a month or two. But uh, yeah, it's going to be. There's a couple of interesting situations going into spring ball. I think. Um, yeah, what what would you say are the the main areas that must uh, either be replenished and or just see overall development in order for this team to take the next step? And that you know, if you go seven and six, the next step is trying to win you know nine games. With one of those being the bowl game, I would imagine what what has to happen for this team in the offseason? The area that's going to get the most looks, not probably from the coaches, but at least from fans, is the quarterback. Is it Chance Nolan or is it somebody else? I mean, Chance fell into a good situation this year because Tristan Jebbia was hurt, Ben Gulbertson was hurt, Sam Vidlack was a freshman, and Sam Neuer just wasn't effective in the in the in the opener against Purdue, and so he came in and and had a solid season. But I and I haven't asked Jonathan this yet, but I'm going to when he when he gets when he's you know gets back from all his his Christmas vacation. Um, I I got to believe that Chance Nolan is is the is number one going in the spring, but he's going to have a battle on his hands. Tristan Jebbia, if he if his hamstring is healed, he'll give he'll give Chance a battle, and and, and Gulbertson's got a good arm. He he's going to give, and if his shoulder's healed, he'll he's going to give Nolan a battle too. So I I can see it being a you know at least a three man battle going into in a camp and who's to say that there's not a transfer guy that, that they're looking at to, to bring in and, and add to the, add to the mix. Uh, they did that last year and that seems to be in vogue right now is there's a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of quarterbacks in the portal and, and Caleb Williams sure, uh, is Caleb coming yeah. to Corvallis. No, I don't think so. But I mean, there's, there's, a, you know, they could all, and, and, it, and they're not done yet either getting into the portal. So, Who's you know who's to say that there won't be another guy in there? But I don't think it's no. I don't think the job is 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 necessarily Nolan's going to next season. But he does have a he does have a leg up. Somebody's going to have to you know prove they're better than him. Well, yeah. I mean, the, the bottom line is that if you want to take the next step as a as a program and get you know into that nine ten win window, 
you're going to have to either be dominant on both the defense and the running game or dominant in one and have a really, really good quarterback. And that was one of the always things with Oregon the last couple of years when people were talking about playoffs with Oregon. I was always like, what are they great at? Where are they great? The running game has not been great. The defense hasn't been great the last two years, and your quarterback hasn't been great. And you're talking about playoffs? Really? It's just ridiculous. So it's the same thing here with Oregon State. If Oregon State wants to get into that where they can win nine, maybe ten, you got to be great in at least one of those three areas. And quarterback is usually the one that can elevate everything because a great quarterback can overcome a bad defense. A great quarterback can overcome a bad uh, rushing attack. And especially if one who can use his legs to, to create offense as well. So, you know, yeah, Chance Nolan was nice, but he wasn't good enough. Jebbia is nice, but he wasn't good enough last year when he played. One of those two or someone else has to elevate their game to the point where they are considered an impact quarterback who can win a game or two literally by themselves. I mean, like where everything else is going bad, the other team's scoring 40, your running game's mediocre, but your quarterback's throwing five touchdowns and you win the game. That's where you pick up those extra wins against those good teams where things go are going poorly for you. We can go back, you know, to Mariota. Mariota's senior year, they won a game in Washington State. They had no business winning. But he had more touchdown passes than completion, excuse me, more touchdown passes than incompletions, and they won the game. So, you know, for me, it's not even about where Nolan is or where Jebby is. It's that one of those guys or someone else has to completely raise their level of play. If they all say the same and Jonathan Smith just picks one, then you didn't advance someone has to become a lot better yeah and whoever that is he's gonna have to be a guy that can stretch the field a little bit because that's that's what this offense really lacked this year you know it's it's nice to have a running game that can keep the chains moving and all that but it's hard to win football games with 12 play 80 yard drives you got to have a couple (laughs) of scoring drives where you hit an explosive play and you know go three plays 60 yards for a touchdown you, you just do in 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 the in today's era um so and and that was a problem they did they were not able to hit big plays down the field and so that'll be that'll be an emphasis i'm i'm sure this spring um you know the other obviously the other big newsy piece to spring ball will be what what is the what does trent bray do on defense with it you know now he's the coordinator he he's certainly going to make some, you know, I don't know if he's going to make wholesale changes, but he certainly got a different approach. Um, you know, is he, uh, is he, is he going to add more, add more to the blitz blitz packages is, you know, what, what's he going to do up front? Um, just, uh, there's a lot of things, you know, we're kind of curious, is he going to go with a, you know, they had been a three, four. I, I know he, he, I think he prefers having, you know, four guys, up front, but he likes to mix it up too. So I can see him going, you know, going between three, four, four, three, you know, different looks. Well, I'd be curious to see what he, what he does with this defense. Um, so that, that's, that, those are the two things, the quarterback and the, and, uh, you know, what, what they do with the defense or the, or the big items going in the spring. How successful do you think Oregon State's going to be in the transfer portal or how successful have they been? It's unclear. I mean, they, they, they've got, they, they did, you know, they have a, a, a defensive, a defensive end outside linebacker transfer from Florida. They've had on, on campus, you know, since the fall, Andrew Chatfield, he's been there, he's been there and working out with them. So I, I think, you know, they'll be looking for some help in the secondary. 
if they can get a big receiver that, you know, they got Micaiah tongue last year from Georgia, but he struggled with injuries for a lot of this year. But when he was in the game, I mean, he was, he was effective, particularly as a blocker. Um, cause he's a big guy. I mean, he's, he, he looks like a fullback almost, but, uh, I, I think they're going to look, you know, heavy, you know, receiver. Um, like I said, the secondary, maybe there's a quarterback out there. Certainly, if they can, they like I said, they do have Chatfield. But if they can get another guy that can rush the passer, I mean, those are guys they real, those are guys positions they really need. So, the, the transfer portal is kind of an interesting thing for the you know from us the media because it's not one of those things. A lot of times, those things move really quickly. You know, a guy transfers on a Tuesday and he's he's at, he's at Oregon State on a Thursday, and so you just you just don't know except for the highest of profile guys you know where they're where they're going you know Neuer last year was shoot that happened in I think less than 48 hours his transfer from Colorado to Oregon State so you know we'll see I I I definitely think they're going to add some guys here in, in the next several months all right so last thing we might as well uh, take a way too early look at next season if you had to guesstimate guesstimate um where do you think this team can finish next year? You got Boise State at Fresno, so they're going to start out with a tougher non-conference schedule, Montana State. Then in conference, USC, Utah, Stanford, Washington State, Colorado, Washington, Cal, Arizona State, and Oregon. Do you think this team can get to nine next year, or is eight maybe the over/under number? Oh, I mean, if I'm, I mean, nine is nine is really. That's really it's going to be interesting next year because they have seven home games. Six of them will be at a you know at Reeser, which will be half under construction. And then and I'm they saying have the nine counting the I'm saying nine counting the bowl. So if we just go to twelve, let's say nine. Did you say nine and four? You know, Boise State right. is Boise State is not the Boise State of Chris Peterson, but they're, they're still a formidable program. Oregon State hasn't won an opener since I, I want to say 2014. So for some reason they they find a way to open against tough opponents, and Boise State's no different. But at least it's at home. It's a, you know it's it's a team they they should be able to beat. So Fresno State's always going to be a tough tough ask, especially with their quarterback returning. I'm thinking they're going to be two and one out of the out of the non conference games. Montana State's not a. I mean. They should win at Montana State, but they're not a gimme either. They're they're playing for the FCS championship. So. Man, if they're not a gimme, then this is going to be a four and eighteen. You sure, but I mean, but I mean, Montana State's not. <laughs> but I'm just saying, Montana State's. I mean, with the FCS team, you, you you like to play somebody other than a team that's playing for the championship. Um, but I mean, you know, yeah, you got you got the road the road games are the ones I guess I would I would look at most. You got Utah, Stanford. Washington, Arizona State. So those four, those four plus Fresno. I mean Utah. You know, tough ask. Stanford. That's winnable. Um, you know, Washington. That could be winnable. And you know, Arizona State. Unclear. I don't know where that program's headed. So, I mean, I, I my only prediction would be that yes, this is, this can be a bowl team again. I don't know whether it's six wins or ten wins. It's probably it's probably somewhere in the six to eight six to eight win range but but uh but we're a long ways <laughs> we're a long ways out from that but but i but i but i think there's there's more reason for optimism than pessimism i guess i would say yeah 
if they can get a quarterback in there who can, you know, what chance through 19 touchdowns this year, if they can get a passing game to where you're throwing 26, 27, maybe even a little bit more, um, then I'll, then I'll say this team has a chance to win eight right now, based on what we know, I'm going to say that they're going to be seven and five again in the regular season. And then so let's see what happens in a bowl game. Um, but you know, we'll see, you never know how things are going to develop, how things are going to shake out. But if I had to put money on it, I would set the over under at seven and a half and take the under. Yeah, I think, I mean, if I was, if I'm Vegas, I'm, I'm looking at this team and probably saying six and a half, that that's probably where that's probably going to land somewhere around there. Seven and a half might be a little optimistic. I, I think, I think six and a half, They'll probably have a better chance of getting money on both sides of that line. <laughs> seven and a half. If you're if you're going over seven and a half, you're saying eight wins. That's a lot of wins to you know for a program that well, yeah, hasn't and done then, that and in then, quite a while. Yeah, and if you, and if you make that bet, you're doing it. I think hoping that the quarterback position in the passing game takes another step and elevates. You know, if you if you can start producing in the passing game, that's where you get that extra win. Now you're looking at eight, nine, what have you. So we'll see. It's going to be plus you don't. Plus the other thing but, you don't. I mean, plus you're also you're also if you're thinking they're going to win eight or nine games, you're also thinking that this is going to be the Pac-12 of of 2021, where not very many teams are good. And, and well, shoot, uh, look at their schedule. I, like what what like what do we know? Like I, I assume USC is going to make a jump, especially if they get Caleb Williams. Although. You know, a lot of people think Caleb Williams might transfer to USC because he played for Riley, but you know it, he could be pissed off at Riley for leaving him. <laughs> you know, like he recruited Riley, Riley recruited him there, and then made him the starter, and then bailed. So for all we know, Caleb Williams doesn't want anything to do with Lincoln Riley. But I assume USC is going to be better. We don't really know what to make of all these other teams in the conference. But what's Stanford going to be? What's Washington State going to be? What's Colorado? I mean, at Washington, are, are they going to be any good? Cal. I mean, to to me, all five of those games could be very winnable. They could be very losable because those are all mystery teams. So that's why I'm thinking, like, if you got the passing game, eight is possible because there's so many mediocre teams in this division. Yeah, I mean, the one the one thing they don't have on this on this schedule is 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 just a, a juggernaut, a game that you can go, you know, it's going to take everything within the kitchen sink to win. Uh, there's nobody on this schedule you, and, and I'm throwing Oregon in that mix as well. I mean, there's just nobody on this schedule that that you're just thinking is is so good that you're going to have a hard time beating them. But they're really outside of Montana State and Colorado. I think Colorado's a mess. Um, those two, I mean, I, I, I'm be surprised they don't win those two games. But outside of those teams, I mean, shoot, they're all going to be competitive. So you're right. I mean, yeah, if they can get a passing attack going, you wouldn't think the running game is going to fall off a cliff. I mean, it still should be pretty good. All right. Well, I think we've reached the end of the Beaver Banter podcast season-ending edition. Um, I guess you're just going to be juggling – basketball schedules and wondering when games are going to happen or not happen. Is there any hope for the Beavers uh, men's team at all? Or are they pretty much? Well, I mean, if, if you're, if you're saying, if you're saying hope, I mean, I mean, I talked to Wayne Tinkle yesterday for quite a long time and, you know, I, I did pose that to him. I said, you're three and 10. Is it going to take a, you know, another, you know, miracle finish like last year to get the NCAA tournament? And, that's just really not the way they can look at it. But realistically, that's really the only way you get the NCAs now is, is, is another, you know, big finish. Um, but I mean, the season can still be successful. They could still, 
you know, they could still get good. They they got some pieces that could give you some hope and, you know, they could, maybe they string together a bunch of wins in Pac-12 and finish, you know, fourth or fifth. It wouldn't be, that wouldn't be the worst season in the world for this team given, given the start to this year. So there's that, but, and the women's team is, I mean, the women's team is still a work in progress, but I think it's an NCAA tournament team. It's it's just going to take some time to put together, and they they just can't get on a bad run here. But they they do tend to get better as the season goes on, and so I I, I think I think at least the women are going to end up in the postseason this year. Okay, well, I guess we'll uh, maybe talk some more football after signing day. All right, sounds good. All right, thanks for listening. Please. Be sure to click the subscribe button. Give us a nice five-star rating, or you can give Nick a five-star rating and not give me a rating if you still hold my duck affiliation against me. That's fine, too, but I enjoyed doing this podcast with Nick during the season. It's fun to talk some beaver football, and I look forward to doing some more of it in the future. Thanks for listening.